Hey guys, just a reminder that the 2022 Small Town Monsters Kickstarter is happening right now. You can be a part of funding all four of our feature length film productions that are coming out this year. You can get your name in the credits and all that stuff. You can also be a part of helping to fund all the amazing YouTube content we're putting out. The link is in the description. Hit the button, become a backer, be a part of Small Town Monsters. Hello and welcome to The Lore You Know. Today is a little different than most days. Today, we're actually out in the field. We're in Alton, Illinois, and I managed to find someone that you may know, you should know. This is Troy Taylor. Hey. Thanks for coming. <laughs> sure. Well, you came to me, actually. <laughs> so you know, I tracked you down. Yes, you did. And I made so. you sit. <laughs> uh -huh. Yes. Um, for our viewers and listeners, can you explain your connection to the world of weird? Um, well, this is, uh, that's my entire life. That's <laughs> all I do. Um, but yeah, I'm mostly an author. Uh, I run ghost tour companies too, but mostly I'm an author and speaker about ghosts and hauntings and unsolved crimes and you name it, whatever floats my boat, as long as it's, yeah. as long as it's weird. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's what I'm doing. So it's 24 hours a day, pretty much. Yeah. Seven days a week. How many books do you have? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> 140-some. I need to maybe what? have somebody do a recount on that. I don't I don't know. Not all of them are in print, but yeah. uh, a lot of them are. It's so, like, yeah. yeah, everything behind us. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and how does that happen? I mean, like, how, how does that happen? How do you do it? I just, <laughs> you know, and it's funny. Somebody just asked me that question earlier. They said, well, you know, what do you do? Do you like, like five books at a time? And I'm no, I mean, what I do is... I usually will have like four projects going at the same time in various stages. Mm -hmm. um, and I keep a list. I've kept a list for like 20 years of books I want to write. Just yeah. whatever interests me, I'll put yeah. it on the list. And I've got things that are on the list that have books that haven't been written from 10 years ago that I just haven't gotten around to yet. And then I might come up with an idea tomorrow and that might be my next book if I get really excited about it. Right. Um, Cause that's literally what happened with my newest book, uh, which isn't even out yet as we're talking about this, but it was just like a chance thing. And I thought, you know, I really want to write more about that story. And then one story led to another story to another story. And that's how it ended up coming together. But um, normally I just, you know, I love to do the research. I love, and man, it's so, it's so easy because I started, my first book came out in like 1994. Yeah. So very old. And so I remember in those days when I had to do research, that meant going to the library and going through the microfiche and not knowing where you were going or what you were looking for, mm -hmm. just whatever you ran across. Yeah. And now we've got like the whole world at our fingertips mm -hmm. of all of these archives mm -hmm. and newspapers and stuff. And man, it's like a dream come. And yet, People are still too lazy to do it. Yeah. You know, it just cracks me up. You know, I'll hear a story and I'll go, yeah, that is not, that is not how that happened at all. <laughs> you know, that's one of the things I think I love about stories. And, you know, is, is one of the things I found is that when people will have an experience in the past, you know, maybe we go back 25, 30, 40 years, they'll have an experience and they don't know why they experience it. So they'll just make something up, right. you know, and they, oh, this must be why. Yeah. And it becomes the lore. Mm -hmm. and it will get repeated and repeated and repeated. And then 
you know, all takes a little research and suddenly you're going, wait a minute, that is not, but I can see why you had the experience, but that is not what happened, you know? Right. So that's, that's this building that we're in right now is a gold mine of that kind of thing. But what building you know, are we in? This is the Mineral Springs Hotel in Alton. Um, and it's was built back in 1914 to be a spa. Uh, back in the days when you could tell people you could cure all their ails mm. by soaking in mineral water. Right. It had a high sulfur content, so it smelled horrible. But yeah. apparently it did provide a lot of relief for people with arthritis and things. Mm. Uh, a couple of local investors built it, turned it over to another guy. He made it a success. And it remained in operation for 50 years. Um, it wasn't until, you know... After World War II, they started to crack down on places like this and say, you know, you can't keep telling people that's going to cure you, you know, which is kind of the, the beginning of this hotel is kind of the beginning or it's a good parallel with the ghost stories that are here. Because mm -hmm. when they remodeled this building in the 70s, the late 70s, after it sat empty for about a decade and they were going to tear it down, somebody came in to remodel it. And then when he reopened it with different shops and restaurants and things in it, people started having experiences and yeah. they're like, oh, well, I'll, this must be why, you yeah. know, uh, because there's a mural on the wall. It must be the ghost of an artist, <laughs> you know, ignoring the fact that, you know, like in 1918, a guy shot himself in the bar right. where, you know, they ignore those things because they didn't know, you <laughs> yeah, know, they didn't yeah. know. So that's, I think the fun of what I do is finding the actual stories behind stuff because mm -hmm. Alton is, for for those of you who are cryptid lovers in your yeah. you know in your, in your with your podcast and everything, you know that we were talking about the Paisal bird and you know most people it's a it's a great story, it's a, it's an interesting image yeah uh, but when and we do know that Marquette and Juliet saw it painted on the side of the bluff in 1673 but everything else we know about the Paisal bird is all made up mm -hmm. <laughs> including its name yeah. it was just a it's everybody's oh it's an Alinawick word that means the bird that devours men. Yeah, it's really not. <laughs> yeah, it's just a professor who made it up. He was right. a folklore professor and it made a good story. So he created a whole legend behind it. Mm -hmm. Yes, there was some kind of giant bird, apparently, based on what was on the bluff. There have been sightings that have come up into the modern day, but everything most people know about the Paisal bird is just a story, you right. know. So, which, you know, is fascinating to me. That to sure. me, that's as interesting as. If it had been, you know, a confirmed thing, it would have been an interesting story, yeah. you know, but the fact that it turned into something else mm -hmm. for me personally, that's something that fascinates me, yeah. how that happens. You and know. that people latch on to Yeah. Aspects. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, carrying away, you know, tribe members and things. And there's, there's no record. We don't know if that ever happened. You right. know, it's, it was just a guy made up a great story, yeah. you know, so I don't know. It's fun. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of fun. So you said your first book was from 1994? Yeah. What was that Yeah, book? I wrote a book called Haunted Decatur. Okay. Um, I had the misfortune of living in Decatur, <laughs> Illinois for a number of years. And every time somebody tells me, oh, I'm from Decatur too, I go, I am so sorry. And they go, I know, right? Uh, but, it's, um, but it was just one of those things that my great-grandfather was a police officer in town. So when I was a kid, I mean, he was like off the boat Irish, you know, and mm -hmm. he would always regale me with uh, horrible stories that I'm sure that a child should not have heard. Right. Uh, but that hooked me, you know, mm -hmm. and so growing up nearby and then living there when I was young, it was kind of a case of where, yeah, I kept hearing all these stories about haunted houses and haunted theaters and all kinds of things. And nobody ever wrote any of it down. 
And I thought, you know, I should, I should write this down. A buddy of mine convinced me, you've got to write this down. You always want to write. Here's your chance, you know, write this stuff down. So I put together a book. Uh, remember, this is 1994. Yeah. <laughs> so I put together this book with a word processor, uh-huh. scissors, glue, and a camera. Yeah. Cut it out the pictures, glued them in, took them to a printer, had plates made, everything. Mm-hmm. And I always tell everybody the book looks like it was printed in someone's garage. It was that close to a garage. Uh, but the printer put this book together and I sold 55,000 copies of this book. Wow. Which was insane. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, never would have imagined anybody would care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was right at that cusp of the internet. And so at that yeah. time, you couldn't, if you went to a bookstore looking for books about ghosts, you might find a couple of books by the Warrens, maybe a Hans Holzer book. And that right. was it. There wasn't anything. So, mm-hmm. and the fact that it was so local for Illinois, it just latched on. And I don't, I think that was at the point where I thought, you know, I don't have to have a real job. Yeah. I could be doing this right. instead. So <laughs> I did. So that's why. And we, we put together a tour. And my buddy said, you know, people are buying this book. Why don't you do a tour and take these people around to these places? Yeah. And I'm like, huh, that's not a bad idea. And so off we went. So, yeah, it's fun. It is a lot of fun. Now, and, going into Decatur, did, was there a part of a sense of, like, capturing a little bit of your family history in that aspect? Some of it was. I mean, I have written some things that have been more of the of the the, the crime aspect of some of the murders and unsolved murders. There were a lot of unsolved murders in Decatur. Mm-hmm. And it was like, for a while, it was like the kidnapping capital of Illinois and all kinds of stuff. So some of that stuff bled into it, but it really wasn't, it really wasn't a personal thing. It's just that I had been to all these places. Yeah. You know, we have two movie theaters that are still standing in Decatur and both of them, I had gone to as a kid mm-hmm. uh, when I wrote my when I wrote that first book. Both of them were closed. Mm-hmm. One has been restored; it's kind of open here and missed. The other one's been open since '99. Buddy of mine bought it and has had it open ever since. Okay. And that's been really cool to see that. And it, you know what's really fun is to have people who were kids when the book came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that much. If I got one of my tour guides, it's like, I was eight when that book came out. I'm like, yeah, thanks a lot. You know, but it's fun that you get people who come up and go, you know, I could have cared less about any of this history, but I really got into it because it was in your book. Mm-hmm. So, because what I try to do is, is tell history stories with ghosts mixed in, you right. know, it's the, the sugar, the spoonful yeah. of sugar that goes, and I, people will say, oh, you know, I really learned. I learned a lot from this. And I'm thinking, that's good. This keeps me from having to do a real job. It's great. <laughs> uh, but no, really, I, uh, I just really enjoy it. And yeah. when you hear from people who say, you know, I read this when I was a kid and I used to hate to read, you know, or whatever, you know, any of that stuff, um, it's, it makes it fun. It really yeah. does. So, so whenever um, you were younger, was there an author that had impressed upon you? Um, you know, I, I always read a lot. I mean, I started reading really young. And so I, you know, was a, even when he was like in a starting out, he was a Stephen King fanatic, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, I remember bringing home it whenever that came out, this monster sized yeah. book. And I just ate it up, you mm-hmm. know? And so he, it always impressed me. I, I didn't really get to meet a lot of people who write like I do until a long time later, Mm -hmm. the kind of stuff I do, you know, and over time I've gotten to meet quite a few of those people. And I, you know, I became really close friends like Rosemary Guiley who had written, Oh God, Rosemary written so many books and passed away, you know, the summer before last. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it just, 
there are people who I really look up to and she was one of them. And there are a lot of people who are like that. And I wish that I had had that. I, I do remember writing letters to people when I was first starting out yeah. and going, Hey, I love this kind of stuff. And I would send them a letter and some, and you know, I got answers from quite a few surprisingly mm -hmm. like guys in England, Peter Underwood wrote me back. Um, Lauren Coleman wrote me back. He was from Decatur, yeah. which is kind of cool. So we've <laughs> stayed in touch all these years. It's kind of neat. So, uh, we just different types of stuff, but still, you know, yeah. it's still neat to get to talk to him and stuff. But, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great, you know, when people ask me about things, I always try to remember the people who wrote me back or mm -hmm. who, you know, would email me back later on and things. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a great part of it. It's a great field to be involved in. Mm -hmm. so you don't get involved in all the drama because every field's got it. So yeah. everybody complains about the paranormal field is this and that. I'm like, guys, listen. Civil War reenactors, they're doing the same thing. Star Trek fanatics, they're all arguing with each other. Don't worry about it. This is, this, this is how it is. It's just people, you know. Yeah. So. Very true. Um, what is the most personal project that you've written about? Um, I think probably the one that became super personal for me. Uh, I wrote a book about the Grimes sisters. Uh, they were two sisters in Chicago in the late 50s who disappeared. Um, Turned out they were kidnapped and they were missing for about two weeks. And all of Chicago looked for these girls. And um, they finally found the bodies lying on the roadside a uh, few weeks after they had disappeared. Nobody knew what had happened to them during all that time. There were all kinds of rumors, all kinds of stories. Um, I did a lot of interviews with people who knew the girls who'd grown up with them. But then um, a good friend of mine's dad called me and he was quite elderly at the time, not in good health. Mm -hmm. And this was probably six weeks before he passed away and he called me and he said um hey i know that you're writing this thing about the grime sisters and i said yeah and he said uh I, you know joe loman who was the sheriff the cook county sheriff at the time he said we were real good friends he's talked about that case to the day he died talked about how much it haunted him wow. and so i got to hear a lot of stuff that i would not have heard otherwise mm -hmm. which that became a super personal story as did the St. Louis exorcism story. Mm. Um, I interviewed everyone who was still alive, mm. every single person, including the boy who was possessed at the time, yeah. uh, who passed away last year. Mm. And um, that became like, I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm like in these people's business and had right. been for 25 years. And so you get, for me anyway, I get really wrapped up in some of the stories. Mm -hmm. um, other ones will affect you. They affect my, you know, mood or, thinking or anything but there are some that really just you know you can't get away from and those are two of them for me so you said Grimes sisters mm -hmm. that's my main name is so, it really yeah, as soon as you said yeah 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 wow. yeah yeah the uh the Grimes sisters Barbara and Patricia and what year was that 57 they disappeared they were found in January 58 interesting yeah you should look into that I'm gonna have to yeah now. yeah you might be related you never yeah. know what is your typical the typical way that you go about research as far as like you've interviewed people, are you doing this on audio, video, writing notes down? It can be both. It can be all three. Yeah. Um, it can be both. Um, for instance, um, when I was doing, when I was working on the St. Louis exorcism book, it was a lot of different things because I started out working on it um, late nineties. And so I was trying to, it was a little harder to get in touch with people at the time 
we just didn't have the reach. The internet wasn't, you know, accessible like it is now. And so, but I would find people and then I would usually travel to where they were. Um, I interviewed, a, 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 he had been a, a student at the time of the exorcism. He was brought in to help. Mm -hmm. He's a big guy and they needed somebody strong. And uh, he had then gone on to become a priest and was now retired. And so I had, I went up to where in Minnesota, where he was to do the interview. And so I had tape recorded everything. Yeah. I mean, it was early 2000s. Um, then I did another interview with a monk who was at the hospital who wanted to tell his story that he'd never told. And I went to Milwaukee for that one. Yeah. And because there's an Alexian Brothers retirement home there, which mm -hmm. I didn't know there was such a thing, but I found that out. So yeah. a lot of it just depends on what happens as far as when it when it's involving people. Mm -hmm. uh, when it involves records, I usually start with, you know, you just you find a story and then you start digging in. And I, I've found that like newspapers.com is a gold mine. It is. You know, it it is. is like the best invention ever. <laughs> and it just keeps getting better and better, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so that, but you've got to really know how to work it. Yeah. I mean, there's a, oh, there's yeah. a method to the madness there to make it work for you. But when it does though, I mean, I was just working on it. This last book that I did, I was working on a story and I was just, I thought, well, let's throw this out there. Surely there can't be very many black ghost sightings. Yeah. And by black, I mean like, like jet black, yeah. big, big, the big, and as it turned out, there's a common denominator. There are these seven foot tall figures that look like they're wearing black robes. Oh. And right. I thought, well, how many could there be? Right. I knew one story, right? Right. So I thought, well, I'll just throw that out there and see. Mm -hmm. No, there was from 1881 to about 1915, hundreds of them all across the country. Whoa. Yeah. There are dozens cool. and dozens of them identical sightings in different towns yeah and this is in your book it is my out. new book that's coming out when's it coming out uh, it comes out in two weeks on the 25th right. of february and okay. so you know but that's where i was kind of i was i wanted to do something about like phantom attackers mm -hmm. so which i i changed the name call them sinister strangers i mean talking about evil clowns all that kind of stuff yeah. but i thought well there can't be very many of these mm -hmm. and then Oh my God. It's like it's a, a whole book. Work. It's a, yeah, it, it could be a whole book. Yeah. Work. It's a big chunk of the book. And then I ran across some notation somewhere about the phantom stabber of Bridgeport. And I thought, what is this? And so I Googled it. Nothing. There's yeah. no, nothing online yeah. except for a couple of newspaper references. I thought, well, let's go to the Bridgeport papers and see. Yeah. Well, it turns out in the 1920s for three years, there was a guy going around Bridgeport, Connecticut, yeah. like this mysterious that nobody could get a good description of. And a lot of times women wouldn't even know they were stabbed until afterward and they start seeing blood. Oh. He was stabbing women with like some sort of short bladed knife. Mm. And he would usually, he either stab them in the side or in the breast. Yeah. And he would just come up and do it and be gone. And it went on for three years and it sent the whole city into a panic. Yeah. I've never, I can, the story's nowhere. It's never been resolved. No, it's it was never resolved, and I've never run across anybody who's written about it before. So I thought, well, that's got to go in the book. Yeah, you know, my turn. Yeah, I right, it. exactly. <laughs> you know, I was just really starting, you know, Matt Gasser stuff because I grew up not mm -hmm. far from Mattoon. Mm -hmm. You know, so I thought, well, that's the story I've always known my whole life, and then found a bunch of stuff in the papers that I hadn't read anywhere, which was nice. But on the other hand, I kept finding all this other bizarre stuff, mm -hmm. and it just. I don't know. It's just fun. I mean, it's a it's a rabbit hole. But yeah. the good news is, is that I can write whenever I feel like writing. And if it means going down a rabbit hole, people just have to go along for the ride. Yeah, you know? that's just <laughs> no, part but, of it. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Absolutely.
How did so, you, <clears throat> of course, since I talked about cursed objects here today. Yes. The Bell Witch. Yes. What about that story caught your attention? Well, the Bell Witch story is one that has been a longtime favorite of mine anyway. I, I, I first read that story when I was like 11. Mm -hmm. I read a book about the Bell and it didn't have anything. I think the cave had just been open. Bill Edens was running the cave at yeah. the time. And so, I mean, it's been so long ago. And I ran across the story and I thought, man, what a weird story. You know, it yeah. really stuck with me. So it, it stayed with me and I just have always been fascinated with it. And I got, you know, over time, I got to know the owners and stuff mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and um, I just think it's a fascinating story. I think that, you know, I, I definitely, certainly think there was something happening because there were right. way too many people who, <laughs> who, who signed affidavits and things and, and wrote out testimony of what they saw. You know, I, I think that probably a folklore has enhanced the story mm -hmm. quite a bit. I, I'm not convinced that the, I'm not convinced the witch killed John Bell, Yeah, but I, I've always thought that she <laughs> could be responsible, like sure. maybe Influence. moved something or tricked someone into giving mm -hmm. him the wrong thing that's yeah. always been kind of my theory on it but it's it's an or or he just died and in, in this whatever this presence was took credit for it mm -hmm. which would also make sense because it whatever it was lied all the time anyway oh, yeah. um so but but i i mean they were experiencing something for yeah. sure so i've just always been fascinated with the story but then when the kirby's well it actually started with bill eden's talking about people taking things from the cave but i was yeah. assumed he made it up because yeah. i don't know if you you probably didn't meet the guy you're not old enough him, to meet no. him but he was he was really full of it i mean <laughs> he was a great guy yeah. he was a really kind really nice guy but he's just one of those old guys that you know is telling you mm -hmm. you know whatever you want to hear but um and then chris and walter would always tell me about you know people mailing them back rocks and mm -hmm. packages and all kinds of stuff and I knew a guy who had taken a rock and then he knew, well, I got two stories for you. Knew a guy who had taken a rock and all kinds of bad stuff happened. Mm -hmm. And he was convinced it was the rock. So he wanted us to give it away as a raffle prize. The guy, and I said, I don't know oh, if it works that way. So <laughs> I, I got a hold of Rosemary and I said, what should I do about this? And she said, well, the only thing way that you can, that it can shake this thing is yeah. you've got to uh, tell the people going in that, these things have happened. And if they take it freely of their own will, then you don't have any responsibility for it. Okay. Like, okay. So at the, <laughs> at the raffle, you know, people had put in a raffle at the conference and I said, okay, so here's the thing, you know, here's what's happened with this rock. And it's in like a glass case, yeah. right? It's a yeah. closed off. And I said, this is what has happened. So Rosemary says that if you take it, maybe nothing will ever happen, but you should know these things have happened in the past and may be connected to this. So a lady took it. She said, oh, well, I'm not worried about that kind of thing. Because that's how the story always goes, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, this monkey's paw. Well, what could be wrong? <laughs> anyway, so she takes it. And, and a month and a half later, she was dead. I'm not kidding. Dead. I'm completely serious. Um, wow. So I don't mess with that. Yeah. So I had a really good friend of mine who was at the conference. She was on her way down to visit friends in Nashville. And she said, oh, I wanna, I'm going to go to the Bell Witch Cave on the way. And I said, okay, but listen to me do not take anything from there. I said, listen, if I go in there, I will make sure I scrape all the mud and off my shoes. I don't want to take a chance, yeah. right? I said, so do not pick anything up and mm -hmm. take it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a couple of days later, she calls me. She was staying with friends and she said, um, well, you can tell me I told you so. And I said, what are you saying? She goes, I'm going to send you a picture. 
So she sends me a, a selfie from her phone and one whole side of her face is completely swollen up like freak show, gigantic. Oh. And she said she thought she got bit by something. And I said, did you take a rock from the cave? And she said, yeah, I did. I said, <laughs> you need to mail it back to Chris right now. Yeah. Call her and tell her it's coming. <laughs> and she put it in the mail the next day, overnighted it to Adams, to, mm -hmm. to Chris. And uh, by the following evening, it was gone, completely yeah. gone. And I said, I told you, I told yeah. you, don't do it. So, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. You know, I, yeah. I, I've i never been superstitious about that kind of thing, but I've kind of learned that maybe it's best just not to test it, sure. just in case, With you know. Things, yeah, I'm yeah. not taking a rock from No, the no, well, no, because there's too many weird things going on in that cave. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be in any way connected to the actual Bell Witch right. to be something wrong with that cave. Mm -hmm. the, the photographs, the things that I've seen, the things I personally have experienced there, and that's on top of the countless other people that have, yeah. there's there's something wrong there. And taking that, a piece of that energy with you was a bad idea. Mm -hmm. That's, I'm convinced. Yeah. So, you know. Have you come across any other stories that are similar to the Bell Witch? Not really. Um, you know, there, there are other stories of violent things that have happened, but I don't, that's, that's the one that, you know, you don't, people th watch movies and they assume that every, haunting is just like that but right. you know it's so rare and the fact that you know even if she wasn't completely responsible for what happened she claimed she was the right. witch did so that's you know you can count it and i heard you say that too it's the only time only case you know where the ghost actually killed someone right. um so it's not it's not anything that you i would think that you would want to screw around with mm -hmm. i mean honestly i'll pass yeah. So, yeah whenever you come up with ideas for books do you look to see what other books have been written on it beforehand? And has there ever been a point where you're like, oh man, there's already, that market is saturated. Let me uh, maybe go at this at a different angle or. There probably have been over time. I'm sure that I had projects that I thought, oh, this would be a lot of fun. And then yeah. I'll go, oh yeah, well, never mind. Or, <laughs> you know, we're all, I'll think, well, but nobody's done it as this or from mm -hmm. this direction or with focusing on the ghost stories of this right. story. Rather, they've just focused on, you know, a disaster or fire or something like that. So usually, usually it can, it'll work. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are projects that I haven't done. But the good thing is after all this time, I feel like I can focus on, I don't have to focus on famous things mm -hmm. because I've had enough people who are regular people who are interested in what I'm writing right. that I can pick something completely off the wall yeah. and they'll go, Oh, well, I've never read that before. Um, so, I mean, I did a, I did a book about a series of murders that had not been done before mm -hmm. um, all across the South. And it was, it, it was an interesting book. I mean, it was interesting to get into. Yeah. Um, I wish there had been more information than there was, but it was hard to get it because there were like, all of these linked murders and there were like 45 people killed mm -hmm. over a period of about a year and a half, mm -hmm. probably by the same guy. Yeah. I mean, he, where he left messages behind and rearranged the bodies and had a lot of religious overtones to it. Uh, but the problem was the newspapers didn't cover it much because all of the victims were either African-American or mixed race. Mm -hmm. So nobody covered it. It was in 1911. Right. They don't care. Right. You know, and so... One of the reasons I wrote the book was to draw attention to a story that people had ignored because everybody wants to talk about Villisca, mm -hmm. you know, which happens around the same time and, yeah. and the series of murders that were probably connected to that. But nobody talks about the 45 people who died, right. you know, and 
but you just, you know, but I'm lucky to be able to do that, to be right. able to get to do that. Sure. Uh, so it's been, um, you know, it's, it's always fun to be able to focus on something that it hasn't been saturated to death. So when you are in those, do you ever get to a point where you're really wanting to solve it almost? <sighs> yeah. I mean, there it's, and uh, you hate to, I mean, there are lots of times where I can say, well, here's what I think here's what I, how I think it happened or who this person was. I mean, I can't, I don't know what his name is, but I can right. tell you what I think he was up to. And, and right. this is his pattern, you know, or, you know, this is why this probably happened. But, you know, I, I find that there are so many books that then try to solve the cases. Yeah. And then a year later it comes out, there's no possible way. Then <laughs> you have completely, you know, screwed yourself. So, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I look, I wrote a book about the Lizzie Borden murders mm -hmm. and, because I, there's proof she could not have murdered her parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, she could not have done it. Yeah. And, but everyone just assumed she did because that's what we've all heard. Mm -hmm. How many times there's over the nice years? Rhyme. It's, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I <laughs> usually recite that when I talk about it. You know, it's at the beginning of the book, uh -huh. you know, and it, she became such a scapegoat for what happened here. And while I think I, that's the only book that I think I've ever done where I say, this is who did it. Right. Uh, this is who I believe did it. That's my opinion. This is who I believe did it. But I can tell you, if it wasn't him and it was someone else entirely, it was still not Lizzie. Right. She didn't do it. She couldn't have done it. Right. But it doesn't matter because people will look, they'll pick the book up and they'll go, oh, Lizzie Borden. Yeah, she murdered her parents. No. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. Take yeah. Read this Let's and you'll change your mind, <laughs> you know, but it doesn't always work that way. Uh, um. so. <laughs> what was your first introduction to ghost stories? My great grandfather telling me his his cop stories and his ghost stories all went together. Oh. Um, and so he would tell me about working as a police officer and the people that he met and things. But then he'd go, you know, there is this story. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, because he worked down in what was called the levy. And it was uh, like every other city that had a levy. It was uh, the vice district. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was right by the train station. We had two train stations in Decatur. And, um, and it had, you know, there were hotels and gambling parlors and saloons. And in the 20s, there were speakeasies. And most of the cops were, Decatur, Decatur was actually brought up in Congress mm -hmm. as a, the U.S. Congress as an example of a city where prohibition had failed. Because there were so many yeah. soda pop parlors, you know, <laughs> and things running. So, you know, but I'll I'll never forget the and I still I still if I'm back in Decatur and I end up doing a, one of the tours with the the guys who work for me. Sometimes I like to go along, and I'll always tell. I always let me tell the story because this is the story that like I think this is the one that really hooked me because. My granddad was was a police officer in Decatur, and the Wabash Railroad had a huge, at that time, it was a hub for the railroad, Decatur was, and they had a huge rail yard, the roundhouse and everything. There had been ghost stories about the roundhouse and all kinds of things, but the story he told me was about a guy he knew, and his name was Omer Davenport, and he was... Uh, had been a police officer, went overseas during World War One, and became with the National Guard, but went into the fighting in France and came home a major. I mean, he got all these promotions and he was just one of these guys. Mm -hmm. So when he got home to Decatur in the mid-20s, you know, early 20s when he got home, but there was nothing really for him to do. I mean, he could be a police officer again and it was not... You know, it just wasn't like it was before because he'd been through so many things. So the Wabash Railroad hired him away 
in the police department. He had been the youngest police chief in Decatur history, still in his 20s. Wabash hires him, puts him on as the chief of their detectives. And at the time, the Wabash had so much power, they had their own bank, their own insurance company, their own hospital, right? By the train station, everything, right? So it was a great job. So in 1926, October of 1926, he's out with one of his guys and they're out kind of patrolling the yard. And he was just kind of running a check, you know, the guys are, they're supposed to keep people out of the boxcars and, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And so a train is pulling through very slowly and, my granddad said that, you know, they were watching the train because he was working. He was a cop at the time. So he knew him. He knew Omer Davenport real well. Mm-hmm. So he had been his boss. Mm-hmm. So he said they were watching a train was coming through and they saw a guy hop off the train and start running. Well, look suspicious. So they yelled out to this guy to, hey, no, stop right there. Stop right there. And the guy just reached into his coat, leaned back and just opened fire and emptied a pistol in their direction. Well, a stray bullet bounced off. A, a flat car, rail car, and struck Omer Davenport in the chest. Mm. And he just fell right there on the side of the tracks. A couple of the other Wabash cops came running over, and they, you know, they loved this guy. I mean, they admired him so much, they just threw him over their shoulders, took off running for the hospital, which was about a probably a quarter mile away. Mm. Ran him all the way to the hospital, got him there, but it was too late, so he died. So it was a big deal. Yeah. You know, it was a big funeral, you know, and then that kind of thing. A lot of people turned out for it. And not long after that, in the rail yards at night, they would see a flashlight, what looked like somebody walking the line Mm -hmm. and would go out to see who was there, knowing that nobody else was supposed to be on duty and the light would disappear. And so they became convinced that it was Omer Davenport haunting the rail yards. And so, and my granddad was convinced of it. It's like, I know Omer, he would not, he would keep his watch. He would be there. Mm-hmm. And they used to chase that thing all over the place. I and mean, these were lots, these were cops, railroad guys. These were not like, they weren't ghost hunters. Right. They were guys <laughs> right. who knew this man and would chase that light all over the yard. And this went on for years, years and years until finally the, the, the tracks were gone and there's not much left there anymore. I mean, the rail station is still there. They don't use it as a railroad station, just some tracks still there but to this day people still see that light and they're convinced and you know that it's still and i always like to tell everybody because probably is omer davenport still walking the rail lines at night but when my granddad told me that story and i was just a kid you know i'm sitting on his knee listening to the story and and the hair on the back of my neck just stood on end and i thought this is cool this is what i want to tell people stories like this you know and i became that became my thing when i was in high school Anybody who heard about a haunted house or a haunted graveyard or whatever would go, oh, we got to tell Troy about this. <laughs> so on Halloween night, as I got older and a little higher into high school, had my own car and stuff. On Halloween night, I would get all my friends together and we would go out. I would put a tour together nice. of haunted places, not knowing that someday <laughs> that would be my job. And I put together all these, these haunted spots because... There was a cemetery. I don't. I'm probably just rambling no, here. I'm fun. sorry. Okay, no, I'm so all of this. okay, this so there this. was this cemetery that some people had told me about. Oh, it's so haunted. Now, keep in mind, it's the '80s, yeah. so there are Satanists everywhere, right? Yeah, High in yeah, black yeah, robes, waiting to kill people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they're so, playing D right, well. exa- right, yeah. exactly. Right, exactly. And so we'd always heard about how the cemetery was been desecrated and things that were, you know, black magic rituals going on, which I, I got to see this, you know? So my brother and I, and a couple of our friends drove out looking for this place. And 
you know, I can drag this story out forever. It was a dark and stormy <laughs> night and you know, foggy and all this stuff. But, but the thing to do that, to test your courage was to drive up to the cemetery gates. And, and I will tell you, this is a really creepy cemetery and it is out off the road in the woods in the middle of the country, miles away from any town. Yeah. And it's just this little family cemetery. And it is, it's probably, it was probably twice the size of the room we're sitting in. Okay. Oh, wow. So it's not huge. No. And it's surrounded by trees. So it's mm -hmm. dark. And there had been people there knocking over tombstones and spray painting sure. things. And we're like cemetery sculptures would show up there. No idea where they came from. They didn't belong there. People would just drop them off there. <laughs> I had some photos of like a, an angel that someone had chopped the head off of and it had red paint all over it. Like it was just oh, weird. Okay. So, yeah. so point is it's weird. Okay. So, <laughs> so we drove out there and it's late one night and the thing to do is to park your car at the cemetery gates, which were at a corner, the mm -hmm. rectangle, right? And they're okay. at the corner. So the, the test of courage was to leave your car with your headlights on shining in the cemeteries. That's the only light to see by yeah. you walk over to the other side of the cemetery and walk back. That's it. Yeah. And hardly anyone had ever done it. As far as I knew, I'd never heard of anybody who'd actually made it. Yeah. So we're like, we can do this, right? So we pull into this, we pull in, we park at the gates. We walk out across the cemetery. Yes, it's creepy. Yes, it's in the middle of the woods. It's raining a little bit, lots of noises, yeah. you know, no Satanists or anything that we see, you know. <laughs> so we're, we walk to the far corner of the cemetery. And we're on our way back. We get about halfway back and the headlights, my brother's car, turn off. <laughs> now, this was not a delayed thing. This was a, he had a, like an early or late sixties, early seventies Camaro. Yeah. So, I mean, it had the knob on it, mm -hmm. you know, that you punch in. Right. Yeah. And so it, we're thinking, okay, so two problems. One, the battery died and now we're stuck and no one's right. going to find us out here. Right. Or Somebody there else. are Satanists hiding <laughs> under the car, <laughs> yeah. you know, or in the back seat, right. With an ax. <laughs> sure. Of course. So we cautiously go back to the car. And we're coming up on it. We're not seeing anything, nothing out of the ordinary. So my brother, and the doors were locked. So my brother gets up, unlocks the door. And he said, there's nobody in here. He opens the door, the light comes on. So we know the battery's not dead. He looks inside and then he shuts the door, jumps back and shuts the door. And I said, I'm thinking severed head on the right. steering wheel, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, what? He goes, the, the knob, the knob, the knob. And I'm like, and so I open the door, the, the, Windows are up, the door's locked. Somehow the knob, the manual knob yeah. had been pushed in and the lights had been shut off. Oh man. I didn't go back to the cemetery for like 10 years. Yeah. That was enough for me. We got out of there. Um, so, <laughs> but that was like a high school experience. And I thought, hmm, you know, maybe there is something to this stuff. You mm -hmm. know, this is all fun and games, but maybe there's something to it. So. Is, yeah. is that on part of your tour now? No, it's way too far out in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's I don't even know if I could, I think I could maybe find it. I don't know. It's yeah. It was way out there yeah. at the time. You yeah. need to revisit it. Well. I probably do. <laughs> so I think they're a little stricter than they used to be about how many people got in and out of there. But it probably is worthy of a revisit one of these days. Yeah. So the um, places that you do have tours, what are, where is that? What uh, we have tours in Chicago, Springfield, um, Carlinville, Alton is mm -hmm. our big tours. Uh, yeah. Decatur, we have tours. Mm -hmm. Alton, we do a lot of different stuff down here. Yeah. Um, it's you know, it's got the reputation, it's got the history, mm -hmm. and got the activity. So mm -hmm. we keep we keep pretty busy down here. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So at the end of every episode, I always ask, which you've already told me a few, <laughs> yeah. but I always ask my guests to tell me a story. Okay. Um, 
usually I set them up, but if you have a story already in mind. I can tell you a story about this building. All right, because, let's do it. All right, so let me, let me tell you about the most famous ghost story in this building. All right. The story goes that there is a woman here they call the Jasmine Lady because her ghost smells like jasmine perfume. Okay. Now, she has been around, depends on the version of the story you hear, uh-huh. a long time. But the story really got started in the 70s because when people moved back into this building, they were having encounters on the main staircase here at the hotel mm-hmm. with something. Uh, they'd feel a cold breeze go by. They would hear like the rustle of a dress. They'd hear what sounded like high-heeled footsteps on the stairs. Mm-hmm. And they were smelling this strong, flowery perfume. Yeah. And somebody said, oh, you know, it smells like jasmine. You know, who knows? Well, I don't know how you know what it, mm-hmm. you know. But anyway, that's the story that got started. So the jasmine lady became the most famous ghost here in the hotel. And everybody talked about the jasmine lady, the jasmine lady. Oh, I'd smell it, or I would hear this or that. And it went on for years. Mm-hmm. Now, the story was is that she had died here at the hotel uh, because she had been staying here when the hotel was in its heyday, the Ruma on the second floor, and that her husband had come with her and he was out doing some business in town. When he got back to the hotel, she was also doing business with another guest in the hotel room mm-hmm. and he caught them in the act. Mm. and chased her out of the room. Now, it doesn't, you know, it just depends on the version you hear. Either pushed her or she fell or whatever. All that matters is that she ended up the bottom of those stairs with a broken neck. Right. And has haunted it ever since. Gotcha. Okay, so well, here's the problem. <laughs> no one ever died on the staircase. Uh-huh. Now, that's never happened. None of these things ever happened. Mm-hmm. So why in the world were there all these people having these experiences? Yeah. So I kept trying to find any kind of historical reference to anyone that would even fit the story. And I couldn't find anything except for a woman named Pearl Sons who had checked into this hotel in 1965 in its waning days, checked in under an assumed name and committed suicide in her hotel room on the second floor mm. near the staircase. Coincidence. I mean, it's the second floor. Everything's near a staircase. So she had died in her room. She'd taken an overdose of pills. Uh, it turned out she'd had a lot of mental issues and things, and nobody knew who she was at first. Mm-hmm. Days passed before her husband came forward and said, oh, yeah, that's my wife. I guess she's been missing for a while. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, they didn't have a great marriage either. So yeah. a lot of things going on. So, so after we find this out, and we've always just assumed this is a separate story. This is someone that we documented who died here in the hotel. And, you know, all hotels are full of deaths and murders and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't really think that much about it. And then two, three years ago, three years ago now, um, I was approached by uh, one of the building manager. And he said, hey, I've got a guy that's here to visit the building. And I thought you might want to come along. I'm going to take him around and show him some things. And I said, sure, I can come along. Well, it turned out that this guy, who's now an older, much older man, was Pearl's son's nephew. Mm. And he wanted to see where she died. He yeah. always knew, and he was really close to her when he was a little boy. His, he lived next door to her, his parents did, and he would spend every day after school with Aunt Pearl. Yeah. And so he'd always heard that she had died in this hotel and she'd taken her life, and, but he wanted to see the place for himself. And so Dave and I are taking him through the building and we're, you know, we take him up to where the room was where Pearl died and, you know, show him around and things. And he's, you know, he's just sort of reminiscing and he's, he's crying, talking about Pearl, you know, how close they were and, you know, how he would spend every day with her after school. And he said, you know, the funny thing was though, is that every day when I went home to my mom, I always, my mom would send me straight into a bath. 
He said, because it, it, I just would come home and I'd smell so bad. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. She a smoker? And he said, no, no, no. She would hug on me all the time. And she wore this really strong flowery perfume. And he said, I just couldn't get it off. And so huh. now here is a guy who knows nothing about this building other than his aunt died here, who just gave us all the ingredients to a ghost story we could never finish. Right. Of the Jasmine lady, who mm -hmm. apparently is his aunt. Yeah. Um, so it was just, it was one of those things where it just all kind of fell into place. Yeah. And it, um, it made me more of a believer in, you know, that the stories here aren't just folklore, that there's right. something to this building with all these people having experiences they couldn't know they were supposed to be experiencing. Right. And yet here they were. Yeah. So anyway, that's my story about the building. No, so, I love it. Thanks yeah. for sharing sure. that. Of course. Um, so. All right. So can you tell our listeners or viewers where they can find you? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm on all the regular places, you know, Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. Uh, but the easiest way to find me is just AmericanHauntings.net. Mm -hmm. It's got all the, the website's got everything, events going on and the conference and everything is all in the same place. It's the easiest way to do it. Awesome. So. And you have Dead of Winter we had today. Mm -hmm. It'll be later by the time this comes out. Right. But and then in the summer, you have... We have the Haunted America Conference the weekend of June 24th and 25th. And we are now almost three quarters of the way sold out already. Whoa. So it is real. And we tickets went on sale in the beginning of January. We did not expect this kind of sure. response. It's our 25th anniversary conference, though. Yeah. So we've kind of made a milestone on that one. So, um, yeah, we're excited about it. After, you know, we didn't... We managed to do it last year. It was weird. But the weird year before, we had to cancel, of course. Sure. Uh, so we're pretty excited to get this thing up and running again well congratulations so, thanks awesome. thanks it's fun so well thank you again yeah. for talking with me absolutely um you guys can like subscribe like subscribe <laughs> <laughs> um you know thumbs up leave comments um share what do you think oh yeah share. share don't forget share all of it uh you can email me heather at smalltownmonsters.com and hey we have a kickstarter running right now so if you want to give us any support at all, we really appreciate it. Head over to Kickstarter and check out what we got for you. All right. Until next time.